welcome everybody back to episode 10 of the third line podcast uh we took a week off there we had some stuff to deal with but we came back strong and uh before i get into who we have on this week i have a question for all of you what were you doing on june 11th 2011 no idea right no no clue well our next guest was busy going three for four at the plate for the Nanaimo Pirates. And what did he get here? A double and three RBIs. Not too bad. Not too and, shabby. Uh, yeah, not too bad at all. So pitcher, apparently a pretty, pretty good stud at the plate. Went on to play football for the Vancouver Island Raiders. And uh, now he's pushing buttons on the keyboard at Sportsnet 650, and he's also the man that built the Canucks conversation. Chris Faber, how's it going, man? Uh, I'm doing awesome. I just want to add to that day, probably the best day I've ever had. Was that against Okanagan, that game? Uh, it says the Athletics. Okay, so, yeah, so uh, Okanagan Athletics, that's the team in the BCPBL. That was a walk-off double, by the way, too. I want to get that in there. A walk-off double to take the win. And probably the best game I ever played. <laughs> uh, that's why I pulled that date. I'm just looking at I'm looking at your stats here. I'm like, okay, well, those most of these are, you know, okay, okay, okay. Bam, three for four. That's the one. Yes, also led the league in hit-by-pitches. That, that was my baseball strength, is getting hit by the ball. I was really good at that. That's your strategy. Just, just hey, get on base. base percentage, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, just get on base any way you can. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah. How did uh, just quick side note here? How did football go for you? That's a weird transition to go from being a pitcher to being a defensive end. Yeah. So I actually got a baseball scholarship, even though those stats might not tell you I deserved one. Uh, but I actually got a baseball scholarship and broke my leg just before heading down to the scholarship. So lost that. And a doctor told me I would probably never be able to play baseball again. Um, and that sucked. And he didn't say anything about football. So three years later, I was like, I want to get back into sports and, and play sports. So I tried out randomly one day of like, I wasn't working out a lot. I wasn't like preparing for football. And then I just went and tried out for the VI Raiders. And I guess I packed on a lot of weight, <laughs> so I was quickly moved to a defensive tackle, uh, even though I was like a quarterback back when I was in high school. So I came in at like 330 pounds, and I was, you know, ready to just push on people, and then had a good good one season there with the VI Raiders. It was a lot of fun to get back to football, something I grew up loving. Uh, it, it helps when you're, you know, I was six foot three when I was 13 years old, so football was like really easy always. So oh, um, coming in at 320, 330 pounds, whatever I was for that Raiders year was, was pretty easy. It was also pretty easy. Uh, it was a lot of fun to like met some good friends and to able to play a sport again was really cool because I really missed that in the couple of years of, you know, having a busted ankle and, and rehab and all that stuff. So that was a lot of fun. And just, you know, Playing football is great. CFL game is, is a lot of fun, too. Gosh, it's so much more fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious now, because I remember I went through a bit of a phase there where uh, I would go to a lot of the West Shore Rebels games. So I'm wondering if the timing lined up where maybe I got a chance to see Faber in action. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we used to whoop, uh, whoop the Rebels' ass a little bit in that one year. So uh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everybody whooped the Rebels' ass. Uh, I don't know how... <laughs> There's some good rivalries with the Raiders, but I'm pretty sure the Raiders have had more sustained success than the, the Rebels, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think I was just a couple years away from, uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember his name. Is it Andrew Harris? 
what's his name, right? The the running back who played for the Raiders and then went on to Lions and then uh, Blue Bombers as well. So I was a couple years away from him. But uh, yeah, football was was a heck of a lot of fun. And just to have that island rivalry, that was a lot of fun too. So uh, I just, you know, I love sports and it was cool to be back on a team, I guess. Yeah, Jess's son actually is, uh, he's now becoming a center. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's center. Nice. Nice. So that's what so, I hated as a defensive tackle. We would, <laughs> me and centers didn't get along. <laughs> he yeah. loves playing center. He's usually O line, but he's been kind of shifting to be center. He's thirteen and five ten. So yeah, he's got a good build to him, though, doesn't he? Yeah. No. Yeah. He's also two hundred pounds. So yeah. And when he's not playing football, he's a goalie for hockey. So. <laughs> He's huge. Picking up center is <laughs> a tough one too. I mean, yeah. you gotta. That's that's like the. I mean, a lot of people put pressure on left tackles or right tackles, but like you got to snap the ball and then do your job. Like it, it's yeah. a hard thing to be a center. I, I would have, you know, was not coordinated enough to play that position for sure. Yeah, you yeah. got you got to be on the ball because a lot of the time, I mm-hmm. mean, people blame the quarterback a lot for, you know, <laughs> the the bad snaps, but it's the center a lot of the time that's the result of you know that stuff so he's learning all about that he took a year (laughs) off obviously because of covid and he couldn't do football last year but they're uh starting up here in about a month for for his team for his eighth grade year so that's awesome to hear that they're starting up again that's that's awesome for kids i feel so bad for the kids that have missed a year of it my little sister's you know plays soccer volleyball and she's just an incredible athlete and she's just been practicing I'm like, everybody hates practice. Like, you must just be itching to get into games, and they're just scheduling them now. So I'm super happy for her and stoked to be able to go and watch her play again because she's a monster. Like, I used to be the athlete of the family, but I think she is now. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun to watch her just dominate out there. Um. So, yeah, uh, one of the things, I don't know if you got a chance to see it. I know uh, you were just coming off recording the newest episode of the Canucks Convo. So, um for those that you know are living under a rock and somehow are listening to us but haven't listened to them, uh, Canucks conversation for everybody in this market is uh, one of my go-tos for sure. It's uh, kind of what got me started into loving the podcast game. So thank you for that favor. Um, yeah, happy to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the only one that I put uh, solid time in that I listen every week. There's a few that I'll jump on, you know, every three or four episodes. But uh, yeah, not to pump your tires too hard, but. You guys are my go-to every week, so. Um, I actually just listened to a first episode today. Oh, yeah, I, awesome. I'm Nobody notoriously knows. bad at, uh, at at listening to podcasts. I don't do it. I don't have time, usually, including our own, yes. Um, so I was like, I don't know who this guy is or anything. So I just, like, pulled up one of your episodes today and listened to it while I was working. So it was actually That's really awesome. good. I really liked it. So, yeah, new listener. There you go. Yeah, I might actually stick with it. <laughs> She she did listen to the episode one of the episodes without quads though it was the one with you and Harmon yeah. so yeah even better yeah that's because it was defensemen and I'm I pay attention to the defense on teams yeah. so <laughs> it's almost like you're a Canes fan or something almost you'd think maybe just a little bit <laughs> defense factory yeah I was actually I was actually gonna joke with you Chris that uh, we were gonna bring you on to talk for uh, about goalies for an hour just to see what the reaction was. <laughs> yeah, no, I see where the end call button is, and I would have been pressing that on very quickly. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I'll jump in here with a question about the Canucks conversation. You know, you've interviewed tons of guests, tons of high-profile guests. You interviewed, I guess, 
some people could call him like the godfather of Vancouver media and Don Taylor tonight. So what has that experience been like being able to interview these guys uh, and ladies that you've heard on the radio for years that have been involved in sports media for so many years and now they're coming onto your podcast? Well, it's, I mean, today with Donnie was, was so surreal. Cause like I started listening to sports talk radio when it was BMAC Donnie and the Moj, like, and that show just had me howling, like every single show that they had. And to hear Donnie, like go behind the scenes and talk about the hilarious moments of, you know, picking the ponies and talking about the poker fight that he had with, uh, with Dave Pratt and stuff like it's been really cool. And I mean, getting opportunity to even like produce shows now at Sportsnet 650 is pretty awesome. Um, to get behind the scenes, but uh, like in the very early days, the reason that I think the podcast caught um, some attention and you know caught fire really uh, was was because Jason Botchford came on in episode five, and it was like I made it into the Provies three days in a row, and on the third night uh, I was working at the mill, and I guess he was just finishing up the story. Uh, it was about midnight, and I got a follow from Jason Botchford, and I was like. I was like, whoa. And I was like, then I was like, well, I made the Provies three times in a row. He kind of owes me, I guess, at this point. And then from there, I was like, <laughs> I was like, Botch, like, would you want to come on the podcast? And he did. And I had that episode with him and Harmon. And that was episode five of the show. And, you know, I was doing 10 to 15 listeners for the first four episodes and having a lot of fun doing it. But after Botch came on, it was it was incredible to see how many people listen just to hear Jason Botchford talk. And he brought so much energy to the show. And I still have like clips from him that I use even in our intro and stuff like that. So um, yeah, to interview him, like I looked at it kind of today as like, those are the two like dream guests. It was like Jason Botchford and Don Taylor, like growing up in Vancouver and being online and Twitter and everything. Like those are the two dream guests. And today I kind of got to like accomplish that. And uh, it felt pretty pretty like i said just surreal like it was really strange feeling of like trying to go out and do something and then actually like accomplishing like the best possible thing i could have imagined for the show today was like i'm just i'm on cloud nine today like i'm having a great day and it's it's uh it's been cool and i get to top it off with coming on the pod with you guys here it's it's been a good day well and the funny thing is is you know obviously we'll see where things go but you you brought up your listener count there and it's kind of right where we're hovering and you know now we bring in you know one of the big new voices in the market. Maybe you'll be our uh, our Botchford. Who knows, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I sure hope so. I, I yeah, I don't want to. You know, like I said, pump your tires too hard here. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm it's enjoying gonna, it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be big for us. And uh, yeah, we're we're just super happy to have you on. And uh, yeah, Donnie Taylor for me. Like I I think I'm a little older than you. I'm turning 39 this year. So uh, I remember the days of Sports Desk and uh watch watching him do his thing back back there you know the line that always stuck out i still to this day i can hear it clear as day is uh every time nikolai happy boolin made a save you know he saved it with his left happy or maybe it was his right boolin and just <laughs> literally every time happy boolin made a save and you would think it would get annoying but it was so classic that it was just that's that's don taylor yeah, how? What are you thinking from the new show with him and Dollywall now? Like he was kind of mentioning on the show that it, it has that same feel to some of the stuff that he was doing in his early career. Like, have you been watching a lot of Donnie and Dolly, and do you get that kind of vibe? Because the you know, sure, the former show was a little bit before my time, I guess. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, it's it's on that level. Um, it's very relaxed. It's very chill. Uh, I think they have good chemistry going. Um, it's it's not quite like. Some of the the content, I mean, you can't quite say the same sort of things that he used to say. You know, we got to be a little more PC these days. 
Um, you know, something simple like that comes to mind. Uh, there was obviously other ones, but I remember every time there was like a top shelf goal, uh, he'd be like, oh, and he goes top shelf where dad keeps the swank magazines or whatever, you know, like just things like that. And it's just like, okay, you probably couldn't get away with that today. But yeah, no, they, they definitely have some good chemistry. And it was actually pretty cool when uh, I actually got a follow from the Donnie and uh, Dolly uh, page. I was like, oh, my God. Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall's new page just followed me. I'm like, oh, they're following like 20,000 other people. Okay, well, whatever, but still, I'll take it. You got to take it. Oh, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to quickly jump on. I don't know, like, uh, if you had a chance to see the Shifley hit. What's what's your take on that? Just because it's brand new, just literally probably an hour ago. Yeah, I mean, pretty hit, obviously. I mean, it's... You yeah. see that like, his ability to play the puck and keep it a one-goal game was there. I don't understand. I get that, like, it just feels like an old-school way of thinking hockey of, like, let's set the tempo for the series, but can't do that in 2021. Like, that's going to yeah. get you suspended for potentially the whole series. I think it's an absolute bonehead play to go out and make one like that, and he's going to hurt Evans for a long time. I think, you know, Evans looked pretty rough going down on the ice there, looked... I didn't really see the aftermath. I've only seen the like the the quick replays of it, but it looked like he was close to being out after that when he hit the ice. So I'm, you know, it's a really bad move by Shifley, and it's going to cost his yeah. team more than he could have imagined. And like I said, just just a bonehead play, honestly, to go for that hit when yeah, like, like I said, like he could have just played the puck. He could have yep. just actually mm-hmm. kept it a one goal game and gone to push to tie the game. Instead, he wants to send a message, and now it's going to really cost that Winnipeg team, which relies on him a lot to be one of their best players. Yeah, and I, I said that too uh, when I first saw it. Like, obviously, we all hope that Jake is okay. And, you know, he, I watched the whole thing live while I was eating dinner. And, uh, yeah, he was definitely out on the ice for a bit. There, there was the scrum above him. And, you know, props to Nikolai Ehlers. Like, he was hovering over him, holding the scrum back. Like, his, te- his own teammates, the Canadians, he was holding everyone back because he knew the shape that Jake was in. And, uh, so props to him, and um, yeah, he was definitely out for about a minute or so, and then he yeah. kind of woke up, and you know everybody told him, "Okay, stay still, stay still." Um, but like you said, didn't go for the puck, literally trying to send a message, and you know I, I said it, not trying to sound disrespectful to Jake or his condition, but it's a selfish play for Shifley because, again, not trying to sound disrespectful. Montreal takes that trade off seven days a week. Like if they lose Jake for a little while, sucks. Nobody wants to see it. But if Shifley's gone for the series, one of Winnipeg's top scorers, he could have just cost his team the entire series and on one play and a game that was over. Like I'm, I'm a Shifley fan. I think he's underrated. He's not normally known for doing dirty stuff, Um, but that came out of left field and I don't know his emotions got the best of him there and it was just ugly. And we've all talked about it in our group chat. Like the department of player safety is going to spin their wheel of chaos and God knows what's going to come up. But I would not blink an eye if they said six games, that way it's guaranteed he's out for the series. If Winnipeg moves on, well then maybe he can come back. But I think six games is a message and it's, it need it needs to happen. I mean, we've all we all expected more for the Reeves 
incident too and they didn't give us that so who knows but yeah i was gonna say i mean honestly at this point are we going to be surprised if it's just like one or two games even like i mean we're gonna be disappointed but are we going to be surprised there's nothing no especially with uh with the fact that he's not really uh known for it so he's not a repeat offender so i i think six games is giving uh optimistic yeah Yeah. it's it's giving the player safety just a little bit too much credit and expectations i i would be shocked if it goes that high i'd I'd expect more like one or two games maybe three because it is very clear that the poor guy is knocked out like in the air he looked like a rag doll and he did not move when um ehlers and the uh the line main mate got there so um, he was literally he unconscious was before he hit the ice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, no. it was disgusting. And I, you know, we've all, we've all talked about it in the group chat. And I mean, I think the way Reeves kneeled on a guy's face while he's on the ice and Reeves, you know, how much more of a repeat offender can you really get? And they give him two Tom games. Wilson. Like I Tom, mean, Wil- Tom Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I mean, you do have one. Well, I mean, <laughs> And then there's, you know, my whole rant, I won't get into it, but, you know, the whole logic of, like, the whole, oh, he's not a repeat offender. But if you say that three or four times, well, if you would have given him the damn suspension in the first place, then he would qualify as a repeat offender now. You can't say he's not a repeat offender three times in a row. It's it's asinine. If he needs a hearing three times in a row, then you know there's a problem. Well, and then I also heard that there's uh, some sort of a rule where it's, uh, the repeat offender rule is two incidences within one year or something. Yeah. 18 yeah. months. I thought it was I think 18, 18 months. months. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. So you can pull some greasy shit, you know, at one point, And then as long as you wait two seasons, you can go ahead and take a guy's head off again. Like, I mean, it's, ridiculous. it's tough and it's really strange with Shifley. Like this is Shifley's the guy who's famous for like never swearing. Right. Like, have you guys seen the audio yes. clips of him? Like yes. saying like, mother trucker and and stuff like that like i I don't understand where this came from aside from trying to send a message and i agree with what a lot of like what you guys are saying here about the six games i would be on board with just like suspension for the series right Mm -hmm. like you know i think that sends a message just as much if not more than six games because maybe like maybe that goes into next season maybe that goes in there but i think just like putting down the law of series make him suspended for the series i think that feels like the right idea but yeah just because it, it's mark shifley i don't think we're gonna see more than three honestly i, I think agree. three yeah. is where i would project this uh, yep. unless the random wheel that they spin to determine games just lands on a four or five i, I think we're gonna see three here and it's probably yep. gonna depend on what jake evans looks like tomorrow right it's gonna depend mm-hmm. on what he is like what shape he's in and yeah, I don't. I yeah. don't see them going over three, which is unfortunate because it's a it's a dirty play that doesn't belong in hockey. Honestly, it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Three looks like uh, probably where it's going to land. Um, you know, and I've I said this about the, I believe it was about the Cadre one, and maybe it was no, it was definitely the Cadre one. I said the NHL loves their drama. I was surprised with what they gave Cadre. I thought they were going to do, I don't remember what game it was in, but I thought they were going to do like four or whatever so that he would be eligible for game seven. Because I said, they want the drama. They want, oh, game seven. Oh, Kadri's back. Oh, what's going to happen? You know, they want all that. And I don't know if 
their rules state that you can just qualify it as for the series. I think there needs to be a number attached, which is why, like, you know, if you say six and then they get swept in four straight, then in theory, they have to give them the first two next season. But if you say four, well, then guess what? Now game six and seven, shit's going to hit the fan and you are going to look at a potential, I don't know if maybe the same level, but a Washington, New York situation where, you know, the players are upset and they say, you know what, you're not going to deal with it. We will. I think that's exactly what you could be looking at, um, given how uh, Edmondson has reacted to the hit. Um, And even, you know, players like Josh Anderson, I mean, Montreal has some big guys on their team and they're not guys that you want to go against. Edmondson, especially, he's not the gentlest on the ice. (laughs) I can agree with that. I'm pretty sure Ben Sherratt is pretty tough as well. Yeah. I can agree with that, but you also have to think about the fact, like, this is playoffs. Like, there is something on the line here. If Montreal pushes it to a game six and seven, is that really going to be worth, you know, they're that close to making it another round that no one expects them to win? Is it worth it? Maybe in a game seven, where they're kind of, like, if they're already down... They're already kind of feeling like, all right, whatever. But I, I don't know. I don't think any teams get to game seven and basically give up unless you're the Toronto. No, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm meaning, though, is like, I'm saying, I'm thinking maybe if it's like an eight zero Montreal's got like, oh, no yeah, coming back in this. Yeah. Like, I can see that happening. But if they're already pushing it to a game six and game seven, like, yeah, yeah, I don't sure. know that I'm going to think that they're going to try anything close to what happened with the Rangers. Well, and we all know the retaliation usually gets more than the initial act, too. So, so speaking of Joel Edmondson, you know, former WHLer, played for, uh, uh, I think it's um, Moose Jaw and uh, Kamloops. Why, why, why don't we transition here to the WHL? Because it's that uh, special time of the year. The draft lottery went today. It, it was it was a weird feeling because. I know for a lot of people, Vancouver just stayed and that like at the position they didn't drop, which was kind of a win. That's a win. Yeah, yeah we're happy so, about that. Um, uh, Chris, before we go into prospects, do you uh, can you give us your I guess first for or initial reaction to the fact that you know staying at nine is a win in Vancouverland? Yeah, I mean. It's better than a loss, I guess. And I don't think a lot of people were expecting them to move up to, uh, you know, first or second in the draft. And, yeah, I mean, like, I think that this tier for this draft from a lot of people that I've talked to, from the players that I've seen that are kind of in that 5 to 12 range, like, I think that the second tier is that 5 to 12. And I think that there's there's a player there for the Canucks to pick. And I'm, I'm curious if they go off the board at a certain point. But I like the Fabian Lucelles. I like... You know, I like a lot of what uh, what I've heard from Mason McTavish. Uh, Cam Robinson has spoken very highly about him. I think he's got him at number two on his list, and a lot of people are having him outside the top ten. Uh, as a center, that's a good option. Kent Johnson, watching the BCHL, had him on the show a few weeks ago. He's another good option. Like, I think the Canucks are going to get a player here. I don't think it's going to be the Brant Clark level or the Owen Power level like we saw from teams that are going to be in the top two. But, you know... Owen Power is going to be asking for a trade out of Buffalo in a couple of years anyway. So maybe they can just go that <laughs> route and just scoop them up that way. So, yeah, I don't, you know, it's not a win, but 
it's not a loss and in Canuck land, like that's that's fine with me, I guess. I know, you know, you just mentioned uh Ken Johnson and uh Craig Button released his mock draft today after and he has the Canucks taking Ken Johnson at nine and then Mason McTavish going at ten. Yeah. I it's it's tricky. Like me obviously, you know, Chris has watched a lot of these guys and, and talked to them more than I have. Um I heard the episode you guys did where it was all all draft. You had button on uh, and you had your Sweden and Russian correspondents coming in. Um, I like what I hear about McTavish. Um, if he potentially has a bit of a mold of like another Horvat with maybe a little bit more physicality to his game. I think that fits that third line center rule perfectly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard ups and downs about uh, Johnson. I mean, uh was it it wasn't button but was it uh someone else that you had on were saying that they don't know if his skills are going to translate when you get the bigger bodies yeah i think that was cam and he was just saying that like he's not a center when he gets to the next level he's not i don't think he's playing center right now over at the ncaa um yeah. so to think that he's going to be the center option of the future that's that's a pretty risky thing to do um the guy played center in the bchl he was outstanding in that league obviously he can play whatever position he wants uh in the bchl but to see him already be playing wing in the ncaa when he's jumped up a level i don't see him going back to center you know when he gets to the ahl or the nhl so i i'm a lot higher on mctavish there uh gunther i find pretty interesting got to see a little bit of tape of him this year i'm sure y'all have seen him a lot more than i have uh so i wouldn't i wouldn't mind like hearing your guys thoughts actually on gunther and what you think of him because i know he's around that option to go in you know in the nine spot there and from what i understand good scorer who can skate so i haven't seen a ton of them i don't know if any of y'all have seen much more but maybe you could get into gunther if so well gunther you know he's 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 a bigger winger he's gonna use his side he has size he has a good shot he he's he's that he's gonna be that like first line winger that is that can play with like smaller players. So, you know how you, how usually you have that, like a good example, actually, I think is Josh Anderson. So, but he has a little bit more skill than Josh Anderson. He's going to be that bigger winger who can throw hits, who can play physical, but he can also contribute, uh, especially at the NHL level. His speed is good. You know, a lot of the prospects, Unless you're, you know, Connor McDavid, you're going to have to work on your speed basically when you come into the NHL. But it, he's going to be a player that is definitely one to watch. But I strongly believe that he's gone before the Canucks even have a chance at him. I'm looking at like somebody like San Jose to try to take him uh, just before or LA. I will make Liz very happy here. I really think if he, I think Detroit picks ahead of San Jose, don't they? Yeah, Detroit is at yeah. six. Six. Yeah, so he might not be there, but I really think if he's there, San Jose has to take uh, Wallstead. They have not had yeah. a goalie in yep. fifteen years. Nope. Since I'm with since you on Nab- that one. Yeah, since Nabokov, they really they gotta they gotta put some effort and some high end draft picks into goalies because they're just atrocious. But I would say for for Gunther, um, from the little bit that I did get a chance to see. He projects to me, if he hits his ceiling, he could be JT Miller-esque. You know, he'll he'll do the he'll win the board battles. He's a good playmaker. He can finish. He's 
kind of a jack of all trades. You know, he's not going to be an elite point producer, but if he hits his ceiling, he's a steady, reliable guy that is probably meant to be, you know, a second line winger that has first line upside. And that's where I would put Gunther, but I, I definitely think he's not dropping to nine. There's too many teams that I think need his level of offense right now. I want to quickly talk about something that Jim Benning said today. Speaking of that, uh, you know, Jim Benning says that they'll move the pick for a, a player. Like, that's for a good player. He did come out and say, you know, something along that line today. So I'm interested. You know, there could oh. be a former WHL uh, connection in this, oh. uh, in this potential trade that I'm thinking out here. Toronto needs to move out some salary. You know, in the press conference today, we see a YVR shirt worn by former WHL player Morgan Riley is a ninth overall pick. Decent enough to get Morgan Riley to uh, Vancouver. I mean, personal and probably unpopular opinion here, but ninth overall is an overpay for Morgan Riley. So I think the Canucks would do it. (laughs) I got to see the I got to look up his what he's making right now real quick because i mean if he was a right shot guy who could play with quinn hughes i think that there's a an idea there the only thing that freaks me out was was hearing jim benning say aggressive right like what the hell is jim benning's aggressive mood like is it the thing that we saw when he went out and signed jb and antoine Roussel? is it what we saw when he traded a first round pick and a third round pick for jt miller i I worry about aggressiveness. Like, I really do. I think that we've heard a guy like Ray Ferraro preach about putting away your phone at a lot of times with Jim Benning. And I think an aggressive Jim Benning might be the scariest Jim Benning to me, just to to see what they're doing. I think that they've done a better job in the past, say, 18 months. I kind of like since the JT Miller trade, uh, I think they've done a better job of evaluating players with their pro scouting. But I... I worry, like I really do worry what aggressive Jim Benning is going to do because it can cost this team a a chance at making a run for a Stanley Cup to get into the playoffs. And that's something that we heard Jim say a lot of was get into the playoffs, see what happens. That that doesn't win you cups. That that doesn't win you cups. That keeps the general manager's job. Getting to the playoffs keeps your job, but it doesn't get you Stanley Cups, I don't think. I think that this team needs to still build a lot more and moving on from picks to get players in a similar route like Morgan Riley, yeah, maybe maybe he helps a lot. Maybe he makes that top four a little bit better. But I don't think that he's the guy that's going to help them get to being a real competitive team every year for the Stanley Cup. Taking a swing on a draft pick and him potentially landing like a Vasily Pod Colson can add to your group, potentially like a Niels Hoglander can add to your group. I like taking a shot on a guy who's going to be on ELC for three years a lot more than moving that pick for a Morgan Riley, who you know what he can do. And I would probably say that he's not going to get much better. And the other thing like that scares me a bit is, you know, like you said, we should be trying to move salary out, not bring it in. When we got Pete, uh, PD and Quinn's deals coming up, I don't think adding any salary. I mean, yes, we're losing some off the books pretty quick. But, you know, like you said, Jimbo's been treading water for years, just trying to keep his job. And now, I mean, what scares me a bit, too, is you get the idea now that they're bringing the Sedins in, and the writing seems to be on the wall that they kind of want, 
I don't know, co-GMs or whether Hank could be the GM, Danny's assistant GM, whatever their role that they want to bring the Twins in for, if they're going to just basically wait out Jim's contract now, which I think is two years, let Hank and Danny learn, and then they're going to move on from Jim and John, give Hank and Danny the job. So if Jimbo knows this and he knows, okay, I got two years, that's it. And he is going to try and do everything possible to make it look like he can make the playoffs so that he can get another job. You know, I don't think at this point, and the scariest thing is, you know, continuing the rebuild that they need to do when he knows his job is basically done in two years is super scary. He's he's going to mortgage everything to take a shot at the playoffs and hope that, you know, Thatcher can play at a 960 save percentage for 16 games or, you know, I guess probably more like 20 some odd games. It's it's unrealistic and it's scary. And I mean, one of the ones that freaks me out, I see is is the Seth Jones rumors. I mean, that kid is going to he's he's not terrible. I mean, the advanced analytics on him don't look great. A lot of that, I think, is maybe deployment and what Columbus has, you know, done the last couple of years. I don't think he's a bad player. He's an upgrade on probably four of our defensemen. Um, but what's he going to command on his next deal? A guy like Seth Jones might ask for like seven or eight. And a former, uh, yeah. former <laughs> WHL. And a former WHLer yeah, as well. He, I just, I don't see him coming in under seven um, at all, like close to that. If you can get him to sign for somewhere in six, I think you can talk. But... You know, that, that's a good part about this trade is the ability to have that conversation before. Like, if you're able to do a sign and trade, I'm willing to hear some ideas out. But I do think that, I think Seth Jones is somewhere in the middle. Obviously, the analytics aren't great for him. But we've seen a lot of analytics where Quinn Hughes is one of the worst in the NHL, according to some of these analytics that we see out there. Um, I, I try and find a middle ground between both. I actually like to just... Like, I trust the eye test a lot, and then I try to back that up with the analytics. I think that that's how hockey is. I think that the way that analytics is used in a sport like baseball, you can really rely on the analytics there. I think that hockey is just such a fluid game that analytics really don't ever overpower what I see on the ice. And I think that Seth Jones is somewhere in the middle of... Being, like, he's still a solid guy. I think he comes in and he plays with Quinn Hughes, and I think that pairing would do very well together. Uh, I just think that the ask is going to be too much, the cap is going to be too much, that you need to find a different way. If you don't have Tyler Myers on your roster at $6 million, this is a way easier conversation to have. It's a lot of interest in a guy like Seth Jones. If Nate Schmidt is not on your roster, this conversation's a lot easier to have as well. So if he's somehow involved in the trade... I think that is something that you can explore, but I'm wondering what value Nate Schmidt would even have. Like, I thought that the Canucks got a good deal. Yeah, I, I feel like right now a lot of people would say, think that, like, Vegas, like, I don't know what, I really would struggle to imagine what his value would be like in a trade because the contract is interesting. He's definitely a player, but is the contract hurt what type of player he is so much because you don't really know he fits and you saw not really a great fit with the Canucks this year so like I really have no idea where I would start with how much Nate Schmidt's value is but yeah. the Canucks are they need to make some sort of move because you can't have 12 million dollars tied up into what you saw last year from Tyler Myers and Nate Schmidt and I think you put it pretty well uh on one of your pods recently too you basically said 
we can't see status quo Jim this year. Like we got to see something new. He's got to, he's got to, you know, show us a new script because what he's been doing, you keep that status quo and you are now wasting, you know, this core group. If you look at the core players, I mean, not to pull a Jimbo line, but the core group is solid. Like it's, it's a cup contending core if you can surround it with the right pieces. And that is where his shortcomings are right now is the surrounding pieces have just been atrocious. And it's, it's scary to know because, you know, if we do see a different script of Jim, is it going to be better or worse? Yeah. And you know what? We had an interesting conversation about this on today's show with Donnie. And he said, what if the Sedins are the type of players that help you decide what you're surrounding your stars with? The Sedins would know what you would like to surround your stars with, what type of players support you. It's obviously not the Jade Beagles and the Antoine Roussels. It's, you know, it's the other players that we saw in the Canucks roster that came in on one-year deals, wanted to win there, you know, were there for one or two-year little contracts to play with a team that was led by the Sedins. I think the Sedins would be a good sounding board and good decision makers on what their stars need. And I think that that's something where I would like to see them involved in this organization with. I don't like, I don't want to the Sedins. I don't want to say wasted, but I don't want to see the Sedins be running the AHL team. Like, I think that yeah. that's where that's where they're talking right now is like, how can we help the NHL team? Like, Where is the best spot? What's the position where we can help the NHL team? Because everything the Sedins do, you know, it, it's, it works. It seems to work. And, They've gone through stuff in their career where they've they've learned a lot of knowledge about the sport and the league. And that's what I think the problem is right now is like they're not ready to be assistant general managers. But to me, I think they need to have that kind of voice in the organization. It's going to be interesting to see where they can fit them in. Yeah, like like you were saying, you need to find like if you go back to that 2010-2011 series, you need to find yourselves the, the Rafi Torreses, the Michael Samuelsons. The Chris Higgins, like those type of players that are like they're they're gonna be here maybe like two, three years maximum, but they're gonna make the most of what like what you get for them. And I know like for instance, Max Lapierre is another one of them. I I think what he was here for two years maybe. But he was pivotal in them making in them going as far as they did. I'm pretty sure he scored a didn't he score a game winning goal in the Stanley Cup final as well? Like those are the players where you don't need to pay them four million dollars a year. You can bring them in cheap, and or, now in the NHL, look at Barkley Goodrow as a perfect example. Makes less than one million dollars a year. One of John Cooper's favorite players. Uh, the the thing that that like you bring up Max Lapierre. The thing that freaks me out about that, I mean, don't get me wrong, I was a huge Lapierre fan, what he brought to the team, but the thing is, they kind of already tried it, and it didn't work. I mean, Roussel is kind of Lapierre 2.0. He's got a little bit of offense, he's that guy that's going to piss people off, get him to draw penalties, and he's kind of the same mold, and it really just didn't work. I don't know what happened. I mean, he looked pretty good last year, this year he's just fallen off the map. But like you said, if you could have brought in Roussel at 1.5 then maybe we're not having the same conversation about Roussel. But if you're going to pay the guy three, three, and was he, is it three, three and a half? Three flat. Three flat, yeah. You know, that's twice as much as a guy like that should be making. Let's be fair, right? And on the term as well. I mean, you got to think the term's twice as long as he should be going for. Um, yeah. I think they, they, at the time, they had ideas of making Antoine Roussel a top six forward. 
Um, there was times where Roussel looked pretty good alongside Bo Horvat. Unfortunately, yeah. some injuries does definitely hurt him. Uh, that knee just it isn't what it used to be, and that is how much he relies on that game too. I mean, he relies on being able to get in hard on four checks and. I think that there's still a good passer there. Like he was making a million dollars and playing on the Canucks' fourth line. We would all love Roussel. He's an incredible yeah. interview. I asked him a question in French last week when we were doing I our, uh, our season. That yeah, that was that was fun. Um, so I'm going to practice up so I can make sure to talk to him next year. And that might be in Abbotsford. So maybe I'll be talking French in Abbotsford yeah. to uh, Roussel. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. On that note, we are going to, you know, to all – seven of our listeners we're going to be pumping the, that uh that bandwagon of trying to get you to do some color for the abbotsford i've heard a- i've heard aces aces could work you know um yeah i don't know look can, can we stop using the same names that already have team names in vegas <laughs> like you have the las vegas aces you have the las vegas aviators so like can we stop just making this a secondary secondary location I, I like aces for the potential for the logo. Like, I feel yeah. like you can really have some fun with the aces logo. Um, just yeah. because like, if you think of an ace right now, you can like, there's not one logo that sticks out, right? Like, I think there's some options. I think it'd be fun. I think the color scheme could be fun to go with, but yes, I've, I've done a lot of color. I've done it in the BCIHL. I've done it in the VIJHL. Um, and what I used to do in those games was get my roommate to text me three words every period. I would have to sneak those words into each period. And some of them were ridiculous. Some of them were like popcorn shrimp or BC fairies or, <laughs> or random things like that. And like, I would be thinking about it the whole time. And, uh, and I, I don't think I ever missed on one. Sometimes the words never worked. I remember doing um, King Arthur was one that he sent me. And like, I know the name King Arthur. I have no idea about the history of what King Arthur was. So I completely made something up, like talking about how he was like, Oh, like the defenseman looks like King Arthur in the battle of whatever I said at the time. And like completely just BSing my way through it. Uh, So yeah, I I would do the same thing if I was doing the AHL play-by-play. So we'll see. It might be a lot of fun. So I know this has been a a highly debated topic on uh, Donnie and Dolly, but do you go Abbotsford or do you go Fraser Valley? I, I like Abbotsford. I just like... Like I don't, I don't know much about the Fraser Valley. I'm still pretty new to the mainland. I'm an island guy through and through. But it's like the feeling of Abbotsford. I think I do. I have a feeling they're going to go with arrows or you know airplanes or some sort of thing like that because of the airport, I guess. Um, but Fraser Valley opens up some cool ideas too. Like you know, Fraser Valley just has like a, a good feel to the start of a team name. Like does that sound weird to say? Like you can go with a lot of yeah. different, you know, like team names from Fraser Valley. I don't think I think with Abbotsford you're really tied towards the whole airspace thing whether you're going to go with arrows or airplanes or something like that like I feel like you're just tied to it because the fact that Abbotsford starts with an A and the fact that you have the airport there like it just I feel like that's kind of their only option to go with yeah and whereas if you go Fraser Valley if you really wanted to you can open it up to something else that's you know popular in the valley Um, I think is there there's just the one AHL I think it's Lehigh Valley or whatever Um, yeah the Phantoms Philadelphia's farm team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I do think it opens up more options. For some reason, when I think Abbotsford, I think it has to be an A team, like you said. So if you go Fraser Valley, it opens up maybe an F name or a V name, or you can just go off the board. But yeah. It wouldn't shock me to hear 
Abbotsford Orcas start to come out a little bit here soon with Francesco Aquilini now having to pay up there. I think that I think yeah. he would be in that direction for sure. But see, and that, that's where I've I've questioned some people in the past because that was back when you know Orca Bay was the owner of the team. The Aquilinis have nothing to do with Orca Bay, so why they own Orca? Bay. Do they? Did they did they buy yeah. Orca Bay? Oh well, see there you go. That shows uh, apparently I'm a moron. Um, I didn't know they bought Orca Bay, so that's fine. Um, well, I know that I know that when people talk about a Vancouver basketball team coming back, the name that always comes up is the Vancouver Orcas. Yeah, like that's the they're like if there's a basketball team, that's the name 100. The one that I really liked um, was the Abbotsford Axemen, and you bring in Johnny Canuck as your logo. I do like that. I like that a lot. I have not heard that one before. I do like that one. Yeah, so you bring in the Johnny Canuck, whether it's, um, you can't, obviously, you can't use the V with the, Canuck, with the Johnny Canuck head, but you can bring the skating Johnny Canuck, and, you know, who knows, instead of a hockey stick, he's holding an axe, you know, lumberjack Johnny Canuck. Uh, I do think, though, you know, I don't mind the, the logic of having the farm team rock similar color schemes, but you gotta go 94 skate jersey color scheme. Please. Yeah. Set, set the bar, you know, set it down there see the popularity of it, and then, you know, bring it back up. I mean, look at this year. This year was a nightmare, and we didn't wear the skates once. Just, just Could you imagine if they just went with, like, the retro jersey the whole time? Like, the jersey that every Canucks fan was like, what the hell? This team just looked horrible. And, and watch that come out and be, like, the first jersey of the Abbotsford I mean, AHL team. It'd be the worst thing ever. I'm, I'm going to throw it out. Why would, I enjoy it? Why would I enjoy it? I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. Controversial. Are you talking about the Sprite can? I love that jersey. Yeah. I have that jersey. Same. Yeah. Hey. That's why I'm like, tell me why. It looked good. Okay, and it's a Nate Schmidt. Nice. And it's a Nate Schmidt. Come nice. on now. It looked good on TV. I'm not going to lie. Like with that game when McEwen pummeled Forbort and when you got that, that meme-worthy picture, <laughs> it's, it's a slick <laughs> look. But they're freaking cursed. Yeah, those jerseys are cursed. I mean, they, a I'm lot sure of teams didn't do well in their uh, reverse retro jerseys. A lot of teams didn't. Well, let's be honest here: the Canucks didn't do well in any. Yeah, that, that's year, what so. I've said to a few people. They're like, they can't wear them. I, cursed. You know, I'm like, well, I then they have... can't wear any of their jerseys. Mm-hmm. I would rather have the Canucks in the Sprite Can jerseys than Vegas in the gold helmets. Oh, those so, are terrible. They're awful. I mean. I just feel like I'm. If I had, I feel like I'm gonna have a seizure every time I'm watching them on TV. I like um, the gold jerseys in football. I think I, I can't remember which college wears it, but in football it looks good. Like it flashes in football because, like, I feel like because they're yeah. bigger, you know, because like bigger yeah. they have the mask. It, it it works like that because I think that even like the barring on the helmets is also gold, so that like pops to me. But unless yeah. every Vegas player is wearing a gold visor, which I, I would be down for, that would be hilarious. But if they do yeah. that, I'd be into it. But yeah, not a huge fan of the gold jerseys. Or helmets, I mean. I don't know. I don't know that it's on his current mask, but uh, Marc-Andre Fleury does have gold bars on his yeah. mask. Yes. Yeah, see, and I, you know, so, I mean, I'm a goalie. I, I can get on board with that. Although, I've always thought, he must have the inside painted, because being a keeper, if you had or uh glossy gold bars it'd be so distracting i had that same thought i was like why on earth would you do that you'd just be sitting there the whole time going Thanks. i pulled the uh couple, <laughs> a couple years ago with my mask i pulled the Jonas hiller and i painted the whole thing matte black 
and I painted the cage matte black, but the cage on the inside, it was bugging me because all I saw was bars. So I paint, I painted yeah. the inside of my cage white so that when I look out, it kind of blends with the ice. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, random goalie talk, you know, Chris loves that. <laughs> we that. fall into that a lot. So let's jump, uh, you know, we, we kind of did a whole circle here, but we'll jump back into the draft here because there are a lot of WHO players that will go. I'm, I'm interested to know your opinion on like the later rounds. So we had a lot of players who people said, you know, last year before the pause happened, this guy's the first rounder, this guy's the second rounder, but now they're starting to drop because either they didn't play well or, you know, in the OHL case, they didn't play at all. Like you have players like Logan Sten Coven, who I think is like going to be, he's like a top 15 player. He's projected in the second round. You have a guy like um, Trevor Wong, who was the 30th ranked prospect going into the season. And now he is number 90 on central scouting for North American uh, players. And then one more player, Olin Zellweger. You know, he's mm-hmm. a smaller defenseman, but he's a guy who I could see going early second round. He's ranked 45 out of North American um, skaters. So how important... Do you think the later rounds of the draft are going to be this year, um, especially with the fact that a lot of OHL players didn't play? You had a QMJHL season that went full, and then you have the WHL that was between twenty-two and twenty-four. Some teams played less, you know, around that around that area. Eighteen to twenty-four in the U.S. division. Yeah, I mean, I I think Logan Stankoven is a heck of a player. I think that. Uh, a lot of people, like when you guys were, we were talking about it earlier, maybe Jim Benning's looking to trade down. The name Logan Stankoven just popped off the page to me. If they're able to get down to 16, 17, that's the guy you can go with while adding some other assets. That's an interesting avenue that I would like to explore. And I think, tough thing for me, like I, like I worked the Vancouver Giants games for 650 this year, worked probably maybe not half, but a decent amount of them. Um, so I got to hear, you know, the teams that were playing up in that division, at least, and hear about some of the players. It felt like all we were talking about was players that are getting drafted in the 2022 draft. Like, a lot of those guys uh, were pretty damn impressive. Definitely, uh, was it the North Division, I guess, what they call it in the WHL, whatever they were playing in um, for that. BC Division. BC. Okay, BC Division. And, I mean, some of those players stuck out for sure. Um, but I think that there's there's certain options that the Canucks can definitely go with. And I think it's going to rely a lot on what what some of these video scouts do. You know, Ryan Beach, who used to be my boss at Canucks Army, is now a video scout for the Vancouver Canucks. I know he's done a lot of work in the WHL. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how valuable those people are to your organization now moving forward. And I think there's going to be some overseas guys that get drafted a little earlier because, you know, Sweden got to play the SHL. They got to get through a full season. The 18 and basically 17, 18-year-old guys that were playing in the SHL I feel like if you were playing in the SHL, there's enough tape on you playing as a pro where it's like, well, we got to take a shot on this guy. So I think that a lot of these CHL players, it's tough to rely on what they did in their 16-year-old seasons, but some of these guys are going to be are going to be steals. Like it's going to be a very strange third to fifth round to me where I think that like every team's going to have their their 20th to 100th ranked player be available for them in like the third round. Like, I think that a lot of people are going to have a lot of their very high-ranked players available for them, and I think that that's going to really showcase what teams have invested into their scouting groups 
And looking at a team like the Seattle Kraken and what they've been able to do with their scouting staff, I wouldn't be shocked to see Seattle have an incredible draft this year because they've really heavily invested into online scouting, analytics for junior players, and really lean into that. I wouldn't be shocked to see them be like the standout team when we look back three to four years from now from players that came from this draft and playing in the NHL. Wouldn't shock me at all to see Seattle be the winner from the 2021 draft. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, there's an article, you know, by the time this podcast is out there, it will be published that I wrote today from the hockey writers. Uh, and it talks about how even though Seattle has the second overall pick, they need to actually trade it. Because if, uh, and the teams that I'm looking at, you know, they're all top 10 teams. So there's four teams there's like LA, Detroit, Columbus. And uh, I forgot what the fourth one is, but like if you, these are all teams that have, you know, secondary first round picks or they have multiple second round picks or you can get a secondary asset. So in a draft that I know, like, for instance, you have, you know, who's going number one, it's power. Like, I think we can all safely assume that it's power, but number two through number 10 is like, who are you going to pick? And it's very team dependent. So you know, trading back and getting those additional assets, you're going to have these good players on the board because a lot of them maybe didn't, they, their draft stack plummeted because they didn't play. Like Mason McTavish, he's in the OHL. The OHL didn't play this year. So what could he have done if he got more playing time? Yeah. You know, if you have a player that you ranked last year in the top 30 who played in the OHL, who played you know, only in the, in the U 18s this year, how are you? And then that player might now be in the third round. I know you talked about this on your prospect where you're going to have these first round talents that are in the third round available. So maybe trading back and getting those additional assets is actually more beneficial than, you know, picking second or picking ninth or picking eighth. Like it might make sense to trade back and get those additional assets because this draft is so unpredictable. It's going to be weird because, like, every team's going to want to do that, right? Like, every team's going to be like, oh, like, we're, we're not really sure about this year. And that's going to be an interesting opportunity for people to be, teams to be, like, aggressive, right? Like, to say, like, no, we're, we're confident in what our scouting staff has seen, whether it's from the year before or the 16 to 25 games that we saw this year. So, I think yeah. it kind of goes both ways, but I think, like... I would imagine, like, to your point, Adam, that 75% of teams are probably thinking that way. So it's going to be interesting to watch, the, like, the other quarter of the league be like, no, this is this is time for us to, at a probably cheaper value than we would see in a normal year, to take some of these swings. And, and yeah. that could be something the Vancouver Canucks might be interested in. Maybe that's what Jim Benning talked about when he said he wants to be aggressive. He's got a scouting background. It would be interesting to see him lean on his scouting staff now without Judd Brackett and go that direction to be aggressive. I think that would be an interesting thought to explore anyways. And I think some teams are going to try and load up, get like 12 picks in this draft and try and hit on some third to fifth rounders. Oh, I just remember the other team that I, I wrote about. It was New Jersey. And my theory around that is that if you're Seattle, you say, listen, we're going to take Hughes. If you mm-hmm. want Hughes, you give us a, a first round pick and then maybe a second round pick. You, sw- you, you uh, like these teams. I know the LA option was uh, Jesper Wall. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Wellblatt, the Swedish goalie. 
if you're LA, you need that goalie, but San Jose is up before you and Detroit is up before you. So do you make that move? And then can you, you don't need that goalie. If you're LA Cal Peterson's a, you really don't. He's a stud. Did, did you literally not see the post that I posted this morning? You need that goalie. Like you need that next generational goalie who's going to step in. I, I disagree. I disagree. They already have their next generational goalie. Anyways, uh, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. But anyway, like, do you do you kind of manipulate these teams? You're like, oh, well, this team wants this player. Like New Jersey, they want Luke Hughes. They're gonna do whatever it takes to get Luke Hughes, regardless of what anybody says, because they're just that's like they're, they're the horses with the blinders, and they see Luke Hughes. So can Seattle manipulate or use that and say? Hey, listen, we're going to take Hughes unless you give us a second round pick. And then that's how you build that way. Like if there's a team that there's a player that's available at nine and can the Canucks do a good enough job bluffing and saying, we're going to take that player unless you give us a third round pick back and do a swap. Like it's, it's going to be a very interesting draft floor or phone. whatever. It's going to be a busier draft than it normally is for sure. Um, but yeah, it's can it's I give a hot super- take about Hughes here? Just, just Luke hot, Hughes coming. Hot take in. about what? Hughes. But Luke Hughes. Oh. I I don't think like I not only think that the New Jersey Devils are going to pass on him at four, but I think he gets out of the top ten in a very similar way to Peyton Krebs, where this injury that we've heard about Luke Hughes is going to really cost him in his draft stock, and I think Peyton Krebs is a heck of a player, and I think that you know that injury really hurt him at his draft time. Every time that I've talked to somebody who is a lot more in tune with these prospects in the draft, every single one, when I talk about Luke Hughes, the first thing they bring up is the injury, is the tendons or whatever is the, the injury that he's got. It's a really oh. bad, bad injury. And I think that I think that's actually almost similar to what Peyton Krebs even had, maybe at his draft, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that made him fall. And I think Luke Hughes was a top five pick coming into this season. But I, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Canucks and the Devils pass. Like if Mason McTavish or, or Fabian Lucell or you know somebody else drops to them and is there, I think the Canucks go that route. Like heck, I've seen what's up with Brent Clark lately. A lot of these these boards coming out are having yeah. him you know around ten. Like if that guy lands to the Canucks, oh, you have to take run. him over Luke Hughes. Yeah, hundred percent. I I, I oh, said yeah. the same thing. Like New Jersey sitting at four. They don't have to trade up to get Hughes. If anything, they can trade down if they really want him. Um, between the injury and, you know, it's all hearsay, and I don't want to, you know, spread any rumors to the, you know, seven people we have listening, but we've also heard little rumblings about maybe, you know, some attitude issues, and he's not the most easiest to deal with. And for a prospect, you know, do you want to bring that into your room? And yes, if you're New Jersey and you got his brother there, maybe he can wrangle him in and, and you know, keep keep them composed but at the same time like if you're at four and hughes is projected to go 12 or 13 you have that option it's like if you really 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 want to bring this kid in you don't have to trade with seattle you trade down like no one is going to be chomping at the bit in the top 10 to take luke hughes this year i agree this is what i'll throw this is what i'll throw out there from doing some uh, research on um luke hughes you know who's sitting at number three is anaheim you know what they need? They need a left shot defenseman. That's what they're taking. That's they they don't need any more centers. They need a left shot defenseman. So that's one of the arguments that I make in the article as well. Is like Anaheim is right there. 
right before New Jersey. And if Seattle's not taking him, if they, if New Jersey gets a sniff that Anaheim is going after him because that seems like the where they're going. If like, I'm New Jersey, I say both. go nuts. Have him. Yeah, yeah I, would say, I would say Wait. that Simon or Simone Edvinson is kind of the number two left shot guy to me. From what I've heard, anyways, I you know uh, Alexa Potak was on my show, a seventeen-year-old who just oh yeah she was, she was amazing. Great. If whoever listened to that, a seventeen-year-old girl who's like graduating high school, her knowledge of the SHL was incredible. Uh, definitely going to have her back. Uh, but the way that she spoke on on Edvinson was pretty impressive. Like I thought he was a Broberg type, where the hockey sense just wasn't there. But she kind of just told me like it was the opposite. Like he's a big body who can skate, but also has a lot of hockey sense. Maybe not as much offense. I think he's going to be in the top four, top five, and I think he's, I think he's above Luke Hughes on a lot of people's boards. Yeah, I, I really, you know, I, I thought Hughes, you know, six months ago, seven months ago, but you know, the more, you know, I'm nowhere near the level of, you know, a Chris Faber, David Quadrelli, any of these these types when it comes to the prospects. But I've done enough of my own research to to see, you know, if you're in the Canucks range, I think it starts to cross your mind. But you're not trading up. I, I think if, if you start getting to the 10, 11, 12 range, then you're like, you know what? Let's take a flyer on him because his ceiling could be, you know, a fifth overall pick for sure. But that injury, you know, potential attitude issues, unless there's not a single left shot guy available for another 10 or 15 picks. Yeah, I, I definitely think he's he's going to go anywhere from 10 to 15 is my guess. I think he's the biggest dropper. I think he will be the guy who drops. I think he's the Archer Kaliev of this year's draft. I don't think he gets to the second round. But wouldn't shock me to even see like a lot of people's consensus number one a year and a half ago, Atu Ratti. Like I wouldn't be shocked to see him go before Luke Hughes, even though he's dropped quite a bit. Well, I know Button released his mock draft today and he's got Hughes at uh eight, and then he's got uh uh Edvidson at uh five going to um Columbus, and then he has the Ducks taking Gunther. But, like, they don't need another forward, so that's why I'm, like, yeah, they need every, the Ducks need everything, but they need to build that defense more than anything, and you got Jamie Drysdale, right shot defender, partner him up with with that solid left shot defender like Luke Hughes, that could be, that might be one of those where you go need over necessarily best player available, especially with this draft that's, like, so who knows what's going to happen. And it's all going to depend on draft day, right? Like if moves start making that draft board is going to change drastically. It's just going to depend on positional need for, for franchises. Right. So, uh, I was going to say we're probably pushing into, uh, a little over an hour. So we should let Chris get to the rest of his evening. But, uh, I wanted to possibly finish it off with a fairly simple question. Canucks are sitting at nine. They take a flyer and they take Atu Ratti. Are you disappointed? It would really have to depend on the other names that are there. I find Aturati like very interesting. And I love to ask people that have watched him a lot about him because you get very different answers every time on this guy. But if, you know, if Gunther's still there, if he happens to slide, even if, you know, if a guy like Mason McTavish is there, who seems like a great fit, Maddie Beneers, I'm going to be really interested to see where he falls. But I think that there's too many names that I prefer over Ratti that that I just I, I yeah, I wouldn't be in a great mood if they picked him. If they trade out, go to twelve thirteen, 
you know, I, I can understand why if they're able to add an asset and draft him. That can be an yeah. interesting one, but I do worry about what happened to him over the past 18 months with being cut from the World Junior team, from just having to be sent down in the Finnish League to everything that's kind of happened just seems like negative for the past 18 months, and there hasn't really yeah. been a positive upbeat from him at all. So, yeah, I would probably be pretty let down. Um, and I, I, I feel like their scouting staff is smarter than that. Um, yeah, I love I love the way that Fabian Lucell plays. Like his his ability at the U18s to create offense from any part of the ice, whether it's like from behind his net and gathering speed and just blowing by guys to to being able to to continue cycles in the offensive zone. I'm a big fan of him. I'm a big fan of McTavish. And to Adam's point earlier, what if the Canucks are looking at Brant Clark at three? And Anaheim can get Luke Hughes at nine, right? Like that's that's another option right there where Clark probably yeah. probably is there at three. I think it goes Powers, Benier, or Owen Power, then Beniers, and then the Canucks can get to that spot where Anaheim can still get the Luke Hughes or potentially our uh, Simon Edmonton Edvinson that they want. I think that the the Anaheim Ducks pick is probably one to watch here moving forward. So that just gave me an idea. So draft day. Canucks go to Anaheim and say, hey, we want three. We'll give you nine. So it's the ninth pick and Nate Schmidt for the three pick. Anaheim gets another defender. Vancouver sheds some cap. You know, maybe there would have to be a piece or two going back the other way. But, uh, you know, something like that could be possible. I think it's going to be a super interesting draft. I mean, draft day is... There's a lot of hype, and it's notoriously kind of slow, but I think this year could be kind of crazy. Yeah, this isn't the NFL or the NBA where, like, every single pick is traded, yeah. you know, six times within, like, ten minutes. No, not quite, but the potential is definitely there. Um, so we try and do a segment semi-regularly, uh, plus-minus. Plus I did try and ask earlier if we were doing it tonight. Um but I was going to bring it up just because we have had a lot going on lately. Um, plus minus is basically just us talking about, you know, what we think of one plus, whether it be in the WHL, NHL, NHL whatever. any league, uh, just hockey in general. And then one minus um, in whichever order you feel like going. Uh, but do you have something that stands out to you for either either side or both? I think I'll, I'll go with a plus is to see the mood change around Ian Clark and the Vancouver Canucks. I think that's a, a massive plus uh, to hear that. And I'll leave it there because I don't want to talk about goalies anymore. And um, <laughs> as a negative, um, man, what's what's a good negative that we've had in the hockey world? Talking about goalies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, me talking about goalies <laughs> is a pretty big negative. Uh, for negatives, I think that, you know, seeing seeing a lot like – Missing, like, I really had a lot of fun doing the Vancouver Giants games with Sportsnet, and I know it's not really the last week, but having those games be over um, is is unfortunate, and Chris Wall was a guy who has done the color for the Vancouver Canucks, or sorry, Vancouver Giants, he's also a part of the broadcast team, and he is moving on to work for the WHL, 
Um, and I think that's a huge loss to what we had here in Vancouver. But it's uh, at the same time, it's a very positive for the WHL. I think Chris is going to do great work over there. Uh, yeah. Walsey's an absolute gem. Uh, and just dealing with him every single broadcast, you know, having so many laughs between uh, between the whistles on the commercials, I think that's a negative for, for the Vancouver market is losing Walsey. But uh, interested to see what his role is with the actual WHL because that's who he's going to be working for here moving forward. Um, and that's going to be interesting because I, I wonder where he fits in. He's a very talented guy and uh, excited to see where he's going to go. But I do miss, miss the broadcast. Like, I miss having fun with those with those guys. And, you know, Bill Wilms was a lot of fun to talk to, uh, just a guy who's been around hockey forever. And then Dan O'Connor is, like, everyone's always like, oh, this is, like, the nicest person in media. They're always so nice. But, like, Dan O'Connor is actually, like, by far, like, I can swear here, right? I'm pretty sure I've heard swears before. But, like, oh, he yeah. is... Oh, yeah, he's yeah, the, he the fucking nicest guy you'll ever meet. Like Dan O'Connor is the man, uh, and I'm stoked that I just learned that he lives like a few blocks away from me. And since I'm sort of new in the area, he's going to show me some bars very soon. Uh, nice. and I'm excited to hear some WHL stories from from the legend that's Dan O'Connor. So I'm stoked for that. Yeah, and speaking of uh, the Giants, also um, yeah, like you said, uh, Bill Wilms left the did his last day of game this year as well. So it's going to be. A brand new team. I know I threw out there uh, Faber and O'Connor for Abbotsford play by play. So we'll see, you know, if uh, if the Giants are going to get a brand new team. But I know, like, you know, I've been dealing, I've been with uh, messaging with uh, Dan O'Connor all season. You know, if I need an interview, he gets me it. If I uh, if I want to ask a, a a question in um, in a post game, he he shoots he shoots it through. So yeah, he is one of the best. Uh, Best guys out there for sure. In, it was in your tweet, right, Adam. Like you were the one who put out yeah. the tweet that said uh, me and Dan. So I sent that tweet. I screenshot it, sent it to Dan, and all he said back was, "Let's fucking go." So uh, I'm hoping <laughs> uh, to me and Dan, yeah. uh, me and Dan can make yes. something happen. I'd love to work with uh, yeah. with Dan. Oh, he's the man. Uh, so yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens. Awesome. I think that's a good spot to uh, end her off there, and we'll let uh, Chris get back to the rest of his evening. Um, but yeah, yeah, feel free to hop off there, Chris. Thanks very much for coming on, man. That was huge. And uh, yeah, thank yeah you. it was a ton of fun. And uh, we'd love to have you on again. Absolutely. It was it was a blast to uh, meet all you folks virtually, I guess, here. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun to chat, uh, really just hockey in general. I had a lot of fun here. And uh, it's going to be a blast. Now I have to go write a year in review of Louis Erickson. So this was <laughs> definitely the high point of my night. And uh, uh... it's not even close. <laughs> Wow. So like what is it is it just gonna say that he survived the year? <laughs> I wrote the first sentence and I said uh the first sentence that I wrote for the article is all I have right now and all it says is this is gonna be a short article. Uh so I'm hoping oh this is only gonna be like three hundred words and I can bang this out in fifteen minutes here. So uh thanks thanks for having me guys. I'm gonna yeah, hop it's... out of the chat now, but uh it was great to see y'all and uh Maybe we'll we'll see what happens if maybe there's some some draft events around uh, Vancouver or something, and maybe we can all meet in person. That would be a lot of fun. So before we before we uh, end off this episode and uh, do our plus minuses, we're gonna do we're gonna mention some of our uh, sponsors here over at the Area Fifty One Network. So we do have a couple. Uh, I'm gonna start with the uh, bench clearers. So bench clearers, we've mentioned them before. We have an uh, uh, code that's area 51 sent me that's area 51 sent me if you go to bench clears if uh you can get 10 percent off your order fully licensed tanks and uh shorts they look incredible so you definitely got to check them out 
Uh, next, we got some high stick vodka. One of the uh, best vodkas in BC. Uh, it is brewed in the Okanagan, so you know it's got to be good. And they have this pretty incredible stick that you can get. It's glass blown. You know, Father's Day is coming up if you want to get your dad something. It says high stick vodka, hockey stick with uh, some uh, nice tasting hey, vodka in it. I'm 100% on board because, you know, I'm on Vancouver Island. I'm in Victoria, not too far away from um Kelowna although I also saw something about them being based in Edmonton so I don't know maybe they've got multiple headquarters but so as I understand it their distilleries in the Okanagan and their okay, head offices enough, in Edmonton but I need a hand blown glass hockey stick full of vodka it's it's not it, yeah I need it for my room for my man cave and I can't find it I'm going to throw this out there again, just in case randomly someone from like their PR team or something ever listens to us. Um, I'm in California, so can you either send me one or make it so I can buy one here because I'm struggling. Honestly, at this point, you can just send me like the, the stick. I want the vodka, but you know, I will still give you like 100% promo on like any social media I can possibly post it on as many times as you want me to even if it's empty but like i just i i'd prefer it with the vodka but i understand i'm in california shipping alcohol isn't the easiest thing so like so we got we got a couple more <laughs> so our next uh, sponsor over the year 51 uh network is habson uh montreal based company according to cap space wins cup uh, even though they're in montreal they're a local company uh you got area Code Area 51 on their website gets you 25% off, you know, their comfortable, stretchy uh, hoodies. Everything. It, it's, yeah, they, it's 25% off everything, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I understand. 25% off store-wide. So, yeah, by the way, quick, quick sidebar there just to help boost their stuff. I've been looking at the Hapson website. I really got to get some of their stuff. It's super slick. Like, they have t-shirts that have the actual jersey strings on them like they've got these hats that have they've got the the um the, the skate laces are the actual clasp for changing the size of the hat like they're just super slick a lot of really cool hockey themed stuff so i'll be getting on there for sure okay and then our our last sponsor for the podcast is bet99.net it is a bet or bet99.com sorry it is a website that if you sign up, there's a $600 welcome bonus. So if you deposit $600, you get $600. So whatever you deposit up to $600, you get as a welcome they'll, bonus as well. They'll um, match it, yeah. Yes, so if you deposit it. three, yeah, you deposit three, they'll give you three. And uh, they do have boosted odds on their website. Now, as part of the Area 51 network, uh, slowly, if you, if you want to get some boosted odds, you let us know, let the Area 51 network do. They'll contact Bet51. And then there will be some boosted odds, at, hopefully, for the Canucks bet season. Bet 99? At bet 99. Bet, bet 51. Sorry, bet 99? Okay. okay, so what I'm going to do is uh, we're going to throw down some bets for uh, tomorrow's game. Just give you a little bit of a or something that you guys can bet on if you listen to us on Friday morning. So Islanders versus Bruins. Who's taking the Islanders and who's taking the Bruins? The Islanders are at plus one. The Islanders are at plus one fourteen, and the Bruins are at minus one thirty-five. 
I'm going Islanders. I'm taking the Islanders as well, Chris. There we go. Full sweep. Full sweep. So ten dollars gets yeah. you twenty one forty on that. That's not bad. Next, we'll jump over to Carolina Tampa. Tampa's at one minus one sixty seven. Carolina's at plus one forty one. Tampa's up to nothing in the series. What do you guys got? Uh, well, anger issues. Anger issues. So I'm gonna refer to Jess here because she's the Canes fan. Uh, has anything come out? Is Trocheck playing? Uh, I highly doubt it. Um, he was being assessed this morning. I haven't heard anything else. Rod Brindamore did not know anything. Um, Nino Niederreiter is not traveling with the team either. So, yeah. um, I can't picture a team like Carolina going down three Oh, uh, no matter how, no matter how strong Tampa is, they're going to battle like their lives depend on it. Even though it's only game three, I, I will take Carolina on this one. Okay. So we'll take what Carolina at plus plus one forty one. So if you uh, parlay those two together, tap, uh, Carolina to win at the money line and the Islanders to win, ten dollars gets you. Uh, your total win is fifty one fifty seven. So make sure to put those bets in before four thirty. Saturday. Friday. Four thirty oh, on Friday, Friday uh, Pacific time, and hopefully you can uh, walk away with some money. Yeah. Hopefully Carolina can walk away with a win. Okay, so now that we've yeah. done I don't I, I don't see them going three and oh. I don't I don't I don't see that happening. I just don't. Yeah. So now that we've uh, thanked our sponsors and the Area fifty one network, why don't we finish up with our plus minus segment and then we'll uh, wrap her up today. So does uh, Liz wanna start with her plus minus? I think we know what her uh, minus is as of right now. Actually, no. My minus has nothing to do with this series, um, as much as I don't like the Avs. Um, so my plus this week is that the Habs won. Um, the Habs are my second favorite Canadian team and probably my fourth favorite team overall. Um, I, I'm like an underrated Habs fan. I just I want them to win. They're, they might not necessarily be the team that I'm cheering for every single day, but I want them to do well. Aside from the fact that everyone thinks that they won't, I want them to. Um, but also, uh, I just enjoy watching them. Even when they suck, I enjoy watching them. So, uh, they're my plus. Um, uh, the fact that they beat the Leafs just kind of makes it even better. Um, my Yeah, I mean, anytime the Leafs lose, I enjoy it, whether it be the playoffs or not. The fact that it was a playoffs in a game seven against Montreal. So much better. Uh, like, I will watch that every day. The only Leafs fan I feel bad for is Steve Dangle. Huh. Um, you know what? He's getting paid to watch hockey games. He it's is, not but, I, but I still, like, it, it hurts me for him because he is genuinely a fan and that causes me pain that he has to endure this every year. Well, I mean, if you got paid to watch the Avalanche pummel the Knights seven one last game, it no, wouldn't have maybe would have taken. Have... No. Maybe it would have taken the sting off a little bit if you were getting paid. I mean, it would have taken the sting off, but I still wouldn't have enjoyed it. Also, I've only been having to do that for one game. He's had to do this yeah. for like eleven years. So you know. You're you're preaching to I mean you're also one but you're preaching to Canucks fans you know uh, we yeah, we exactly. know pain we 
We know pain but and see, torture. Here's my thing. is like, I have a junior team that has done exceedingly well over the years. At least since yeah, I've too. been watching them. So, <laughs> so, okay. Sorry, Chris. Sorry. But... Oh, it's okay. So at we're, least the I have were that... Like 2-15 this year. That, that's solid. At least I have that, like... They were okay last year. Yeah, they were poised to go on a run until the world shut down. Yeah. My minus, however, is how Leafs fans have been reacting, and specifically all the hate that Mitch Marner has been getting. Um, If you don't want him, give him to me. Any of my teams will take him. I do not care. If you do not want Mitch Marner anymore, I will gladly find him a spot on any team that I follow. Like, I do not care. Yeah. Um, He's, the he burning... might be slightly overpaid for what he does, but not much. I, yes, not much I mean, he's he, overpaid or not, I don't care. I'm sorry, if I could get Mitch Marner on the Canucks, that oh, yeah. would be an overpayment that I would be willing to take. Like, yeah, I sure. would much rather have him than some... I'm, I'm not even going to name names. <laughs> <laughs> not even... Not even going to name names. I would much rather be paying Mitch Marner. Also, the the reason why I say like the overall reaction is like I'm sorry, but like the burning of jerseys, the disrespect yeah. that they're showing. Yes, this yeah. team has been frustrating. Yes, this team has been stressful. But you were a fan for a reason. Whether or not you're a fan now, whether or not this team has driven you away, this type of reaction is. Is re- it, it takes me back to when John Tavares left the Islanders and how sh- absolutely trashy the Islanders fans were. Okay, so uh, Jess, why don't you uh, jump in with your uh, plus minus here while we give Liz a chance to, you know, recover her from her, her panic? Uh, well, my minus should be pretty damn obvious considering we were just talking about the stupid canes and their desire to not win these last two games. So it's absolutely my negative on this one. Um, I didn't watch the games. I can't do it. I have decided that playoff hockey and I do not get along. I just end up hating everyone and like every everyone associated with the team. Like I just end up hating it. So I just I, I, I have decided not to. Um, but it just, it frustrates me to see a team like the Canes. <laughs> okay, so you're a plus, uh, you're plus Jess for the week? Um, oh god, this hurts. Um, the Islanders beating the Bruins. That hurt, that hurt so bad to say, because I hate the Islanders. They're like, Number three on my hated teams list. You've got the Bruins, the Avs, and then the Islanders. Uh, excuse me, but Maddie Barzell. Oh, I would. I would like to point out. Absolutely not. Absolutely. So, you see, he was a T-bird before I started covering the T-birds, so he doesn't count. The only one that I allow. Well, I guess two. Shea Theodore and Keegan Colasar. Oh crap. And Alex True. So there's three. So there's three. Even though I hate the Islanders, I hate the Bruins more, and I don't want to see them go any farther than they already have. 
I mean, I also I picked the Islanders to win the uh, Stanley Cup this year, but whatever. Okay, so got an Avalanche okay, so Chris, losing tonight. Do you want to jump in with your uh, plus Vegas minus? Vegas wins tonight. Um, well, the Avs Vegas game is gonna restart in a couple minutes, so I'll save my plus for when Colorado scores. <laughs> um, my minus for the week. Um, there are many. Uh, I'll do a 1A and 1B. Um, tonight, Mark Shifley. 1A, 1B, I'm going to say Mark Shifley. I'm a fan of his, but it was disgusting what he did tonight. There was no need for it. It wasn't a hockey play. And I really hope, you know, I, I don't really have a dog in the fight in this series. I want Montreal to win for my old man. So maybe I do kind of have a dog in the fight. Um, but I really think he deserves to be gone for the rest of the series. I agree with Faber. I think he gets three. That might be too little too late. If, if they lose Mark Shifley for three games, this series is over before it started, I think. Um, but anyways, yeah, um, he deserved it. And his teammates are going to have to, uh, you know, deal with him in the summer. If they, if they go home early because of something he did, good luck, man. Like, good luck facing your teammates now. But, uh... Other negative, I'm going to say I'm not going to dive too deep in on it because I don't have the education or the experience to really discuss it in great detail. Um, maybe we can get into it a little bit more next week. But the hate and the racism that was dealt to Ethan Bear is, again, disgusting. And there's no need for it. We're in, you know, the year 2020. 2021 and it's we need to move past that kind of garbage and you know it's especially in i mean there, there's no excuse for it anywhere but you know especially in canada when you know first nations are such a major part of of our history and our heritage and we have to learn about their history and about how things have gone for them and what they've had to face and you know it's again i i don't have the most education on the subject but i am a human being and i know what's right and what's wrong and that kind of stuff is disgusting and anyone that i've seen on my timeline that has spouted it instant block and i got no time for you so um maybe we have a guest next week potentially coming on we can dive into a little bit more someone that has some experience on it and you know, I don't want to get too deep, so I'll move on to something else. But uh, yeah, those people can get out of here with that kind of crap. So plus for the week. Oh, man. Uh, what has been positive? <laughs> um, Liz already said Toronto winning or losing. Toronto winning Let's... would not have been positive. No, that's not positive at all. Um, I'm drawing a little bit of a blank, so I'm just going to, well, having Faber on. Huge yeah. positive. That, that was awesome. Um, super nice guy. I'll say I'm going to go out of left field a little bit here, and I'm going to say the logic that uh, has been floating around lately that the Sedines are coming in to the Canucks to serve some role that has been yet to be defined. Um, those two guys are class acts. They seem to exceed at everything they try. So I think getting two franchise legends to come in and potentially help to write this ship is going to be huge 
I don't think they're going to have a lot of pull until Jim leaves. And I also don't think that if they are, if they have aspirations to be a GM or assistant GM, learning from Jim Benning is, you know, one step forward, two steps back. So that's probably not great. Hopefully they can take it with a grain of sand and just be like, okay, well, I know what the job is. Obviously this guy's not doing it properly. <laughs> um, but yeah, just having Hank and Danny back in the mix is going to be huge. And I can't wait to see what role they serve and what the end result is going to be for the Canucks moving forward. So I'll just leave it at that for now. Okay, I think that's pretty solid. Uh, I'll throw out my, uh, I guess, my uh, plus minus. My positive is it's been the world championship for like the last, I don't know, how many weeks it's been going on. Seven months. The world championship has just been incredible to watch. Like, Kazakhstan. No, 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 no. Did Vegas just lose? No, but they're in the box, and it's Riley. Colorado has a power play in overtime, and Colorado's power play is like a fifty percent power play. And it's Riley Smith in the box. So why? As I was saying, um, the world championship was definitely the uh, the plus of the week. You had a team like Kazakhstan that almost made it into the playoffs over Canada. Like, Canada got in because, like, eight different results happened. It was just hilarious to watch. You had a a guy from England leading the tournament in goals. Uh, You had, um, because there were no, there weren't a lot of NHL stars there. Uh, It was just awesome to watch. And I actually believe that, and I wrote this in the article that, was published about the preliminary round is that I believe that they should have a cap on NHL players that go to the world championship. So for instance, like you can only have a thousand NHL games total on your roster or something like that, because it just makes it so much more competitive and just so much more exciting. And yeah, it was, they, the, some of the games were like, as exciting as NHL playoff games, not because the action was like, not because the players were great, but just because it was so back and forth. Like Sweden didn't make it into the top eight for the first time since like, I think it was like the thirties or something. Yeah, like it was, I, I it, definitely it, agree. It, it was, it was an incredible tournament. Yeah, it's, uh, it's still going on, isn't it? Yeah. So when this podcast is released tomorrow, there's the quarterfinals, and Canada's playing the ROC, which is Russia, but they're not allowed to be called Russia because of, you know, doping. Yeah. And why don't I uh, pause for a second, because Liz looks like she's about oh, to explode. McKinnon, McKinnon, just, McKinnon just hit the post. He's fine. He's fine. Keep going, Adam. Okay, so that was my, that was my positive. I definitely want to get a team. I want to get a Curtis Falk team Kazakhstan jersey just for the sake of it. Because Curtis Falk, former WHLer, for some reason plays for Kazakhstan. Nice. Or, or a Liam. Yeah, there is a ton of Borat quotes whenever Kazakhstan uh, won. Or a Liam Kirk, a Great Britain jersey. I think that that would be pretty cool. Okay, so my negative it's very, very simple. It's why is Ron McLean still on my TV and TVs across a you know, the world, like he made a questionable joke where, uh, people and like took it as he was making fun of, uh, gay people and, uh, and people who live with AIDS 
he made a comment today that basically said like the Shifley play was beautiful or something. But thank goodness we have Jennifer Botterill who just sits there and is just gives the face that everybody around the world does. So whenever he makes a dumb comment, her facial reaction is just incredible because you can tell that she heard exactly what was said and she's like, what is this guy on? So I'll, I'll chime in real quick. The face that she makes, she makes a mom face when like a mom looks at her kids like, what the hell is wrong with you? It's, it's the mom face. Yes, Jess would probably be very, uh, very um, versed in that. It's like the, it's like the face that you give to your child, just like, what did you just say? Like, but it's just so shocking that you don't know, you know what, how to like, respond. You, you can't yeah. muster. Yeah. But he, this is not a new, you know, this is not a new thing. When he was partnered up with Cherry, he would do this all the time, where like Cherry would spout out a anti-francophone or things or whatever and he would just repeat a tragically hip lyric and talk about the landscape of canada so it's it's time to move on from the players uh or like the guys like ron mclean i love jennifer botterill in her position i think that she does it incredible in hockey night in canada i am very excited that david amber is going to take over ron mclean's like i know it's not a, he's going to take over and I think it's going to be great to watch David Amber and Jennifer Botterill uh, have a back and forth. You know, a lot of the guys who are on there can probably get younger, more forward-thinking guys. I like Anthony Stewart a lot. You got um, Kelly Rudy's good. Kevin Bieksa is good. But, like, uh, uh, you got Elliot Friedman and you have Cassie Campbell-Pascal. But they need to find a way to really relate to people younger. Because what if they want views during the intermission, what is like and I'm watching and Ron McLean's on there, what do I why do I want to hear what Ron McLean has to say when every time it's like, oh hey, look at this play. I know the referee screwed up, but like we should not have not uh say that the referee is doing a bad job because they're human being like it, it i understand that point but like you don't have to say it he it's time for him to go it's time for hockey to evolve and i'm super excited to see what tnt does except the fact that they brought on gretzky because i think that that's going to be just a flop gretzky's so I, boring uh, i want to see them bring charles barkley on because i think charles would just wreck the nhl it would be incredible not wreck it like in a bad way like he would take over the nhl and uh i know like Stephen a smith is getting into it he trashed the leafs he called them the dallas cowboys and i think that yes he's wrong about that and i'll tell you why he's wrong at least the dallas cowboys have actually fucking won sorry i'm also i'm i hate the dallas cowboys but to say that the leafs are the dallas cowboys that's just mean to the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I, I, I understand. I understand the the message of what he was saying. They're basically like the biggest franchise in the league, or whatever. Right. But I, I gotta say that um, that video from was it last week or two weeks ago when he was slamming McDavid and Drysital, and basically being like, "You two led the league and you got swept." Yeah, it was it was pretty entertaining actually. Yeah, I know that Stephen A is probably not going to make an appearance on Sportsnet because ESPN owns TSN and 
not Sportsnet. But I think that if they give me an option to watch Ron McLean talk about Canadian landscapes and they give me an option to watch Stephen A. Smith scream that McDavid and uh, Matthews can't win in the playoffs, I think I know where I'm turning and I think I know where the majority of people are uh, turning. Let's do Stephen A. Smith is incredible. Bring him up to Canada. Let him do color commentary because I would love to see a Canuck game where John Shorthouse or Jim Houston is just trying to control Stephen A. Smith and he is just screaming his head off about like huge hits and everything because I think it would be one of the most incredible combinations that would ever be on uh, radio or TV. There's my little rant about my negative. Instead of Coach's Corner, it's just Stephen A. Smith's new segment called Let's Do That Hockey. Exactly. That would be a perfect, uh, perfect. (laughs) Join us next week for episode 11 of the Third Line podcast for Adam Kurzenblatt, Jess Mosley, Liz Child. I'm Chris Roy, and we will see you guys next week.